When I think about church scandals, usually the big ones that I've heard about often involve either some sort of terrible moral failure or some kind of financial shenanigans or maybe a combination of both. On this episode of One Accord, we're going to be talking about stewardship. And so we're going to be getting into these issues regarding church finances as we continue this How to Ruin Your Church series. And just in case you're new to the series, uh, we're not actually interested in ruining churches. What we're really looking for is how to have a healthy church. And so if we know that bad finances and bad stewardship can ruin churches, we want to talk about what can we do to put steps in place to make sure that we have a healthy stewardship in our local body. In order to talk about this important topic with me today, I've got my friends with me once again. And so let's go ahead and bring in Pastor Eric Love. How are you today, my friend? I'm doing well, Joe. You know, as pastors, this is a very important issue. And so I'm certainly interested. I don't think in all the conversations we've had, I can't recall a time that you and I have ever talked about finances before. I think you're right. And that, that actually might be a good thing in a way. We'll, we'll talk sure. about that later. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully we won't end the conversation with yelling at each other. I don't uh, foresee that coming. Uh, <laughs> but uh, let's go ahead and uh, bring in uh, Brother Greg as well. Brother Greg, how are you today? Hi, good morning, guys. Thanks once again to both of you for, for being here and talking about these issues. As we talk about stewardship and we talk about finances, um, like I mentioned at the very beginning, I, I can't think of too many scandals that I've heard about that didn't either include a, a moral failure or a financial, you know, discrepancy. Uh, am I leaving out a big thing, or I mean, is that how you guys have kind of in your Christian walk? Does that that sound accurate to you? Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. So if that's accurate, you know, making sure that we have some sort of uh, accountability, transparency in our financial health of our church, the financial life of our church seems like the first step, but these things can be very buzzwordy, buzz, buzzwordy type of things, right? I mean, everybody says that we're, we're healthy or that we're accountable or that we're transparent. But Eric, I want to start with you because you are, you know, in, in full-time ministry. Um, what kind of steps, you know, and you don't have to be any more specific than you'd like to be, but what kind of steps, at least theoretically, um, go into actually having genuine accountability and transparency in a financial ministry, in your opinion? I think the maybe the biggest thing is uh, making the financial situation aware uh, to the all the, the elder board and also just to the congregation. Uh, I think if they're giving, they have a right to know uh, how their money is being spent and uh, what types of things the money is being invested in. Uh, so I think just making people aware of the situation and, uh, you know, in, in all of our meetings that we have monthly, we discuss the finances, we discuss where the money's going and how it should be spent. Uh, so just making the information known and not having one person uh, deal with all of it, because, you know, it's, it's uh, when you have one person doing it all, there's, you know, there's some risk there. And I'm not saying that certain people can't be trusted, but it's just even, you know, for, for their sake, it's good to, to, to let the, uh, let the situation be known to everybody involved. And so I just think being open about it, not trying to hide things and being as just transparent as possible is, is the best way to go. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I do, uh, I mean, I do think certain people can't be trusted, <laughs> but hopefully, hopefully, uh, if you do only have one person that is someone who can be trusted, uh, Greg, sure. it looked like you were about to uh, add something. Sure. I, well, I was just going to ask a question because um, what Eric just touched on, it builds upon a premise, right? Um, it builds upon how your church is structured. Are you congregationally led? Are you elder led or elder ruled? That might be a, a bit of a scary word for some people. Um, are you pastor led? Um, so I, I think uh, maybe it'd be helpful for you guys to each 
as, as a guy not in charge of it at all or have no hand in it, it might be helpful for you guys to lay out what background you're coming from. Because if you're coming from a congregation led church, well, of course they're going to, they're going to be the ones making those decisions. And if you're from a pastor led church, you could understand why it might fall into the pocket of one guy. So uh, having laying your cards on the table there might be helpful. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I hear that. And I'm certainly interested in, in, in willing to talk about our very particular circumstances. I certainly though, don't want to go so far into the particulars that, you know, Eric and I are just talking about the financial situations of the local bodies that we're a part of and having that be irrelevant to somebody who is maybe uh, of a different form of uh, church government. Um, because you can have, I, I believe anyway, healthy churches that take on very different structures, healthy, large churches, healthy, small churches, healthy, congregational churches, healthy churches with full-time staff, with part-time staff, you know, bivocational pastors and with no, no paid staff. So um, in order to have transparency and accountability in the finances, that's something that should apply across the board regardless, um, although the various structures themselves might might be different. And so, you know, Eric, I appreciate you sharing some of the particulars for you, um, you know, talking about making these things available, including it in um, meetings. When you say meetings, uh, are you talking, you're not talking about like Sunday morning, you make a financial uh, presentation once a month. You're talking about like some sort of leadership meeting or something like, is this with your elders and deacons or? or we have a monthly elder board meeting and we also have congregational meetings quarterly. Okay. Uh, and so we, uh, we, we let, um, we talk about it every month and then we we let the congregation know where we're at financially and what our what what our money is being invested in and uh we don't we don't take a vote on obviously like well I, I shouldn't say obviously maybe some people do this we don't vote on um you know where to put the money every single time with the whole congregation i mean we let the congregation know what's going on and they can certainly have some input but ultimately uh, it's, you know, the decisions that we make week by week are, are made by, um, made by the, the elder board and myself. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that, that's exactly what Greg was talking about. Certainly a congregational uh, form of government would require, you know, I mean, I've, I've heard of some, uh, churches that, I mean, even very small expenditures, they want to get something that's, you know, just a few dollars. They still have to have a, uh, have it be on the agenda, make a, uh, a vote for and a decision. And, and certainly that's one way of building an accountability. That's not how we do it. Doesn't sound like that's how you do it. Um, our, our ministry runs uh, similar to yours. Um, we have uh, a treasurer who's in our circumstances, not a paid uh, position. It's a, a volunteer, you know, lay, lay member of the congregation. Uh, and that uh, treasurer gives uh, the elder board a financial report every month. It's not, you know, emailed out to everybody. It's just to the, to the elder board. And then, um, you know, we have a, a uh, a financial meeting once a year, uh, at least, um, which, you know, is required, uh, by our bylaws and things. And it's actually one of the <laughs> least attended meetings. You know, I, I don't know, sometimes it's funny, uh, in a, a church with healthy finances, often, often, at least in my very limited experience, those are the meetings that are not, uh, attended very well. Uh, as soon as you have some maybe, uh, distrust with the leadership, or if there's any kind of, uh, um, I don't know, disagreement or uh, something else, then all of a sudden the finance team is uh, more populated than Sunday morning uh, or the finance meetings more populated than Sunday morning. So, um, but uh, you know, you guys sound like you do it um, more regularly, quarterly, which I think is a, a good thing. Do people like enjoy that? Is, is that something that people are eager to have or 
are there some people who's kind of like eyes roll into the back of their head? And they're like, oh, here comes the financial presentation. We're not, we're just, you know, we're bored with this part. Let's get to the, let's get to the other stuff. Let's talk about uh, criticizing Eric's sermons for the past quarter or something like that. How's, Amen. how's that look for you? Um, it's kind of a mixed response. I mean, there's some people that just have no interest in it. There's other people that are more interested. I think it's, I think it's just mixed, but we, uh, we, we just want people to be aware of like, you know, where the money's going. I mean, if they're, if they're giving, then I think they should at least know, you know, how their money is being spent, what it's, what, what kind of ministries uh, we're investing in and uh, things like that. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's quarterly and we just make all these things. We basically, we take the information from the, uh, the past elders meetings, and then we make that information known to the congregation. And so do you have like ministry leaders give like a presentation of like their, you know, budget performance and what they're doing and stuff like that? Or is that, um, is it mostly made by the, okay. Yeah. yeah no, that's we, a, that's... If we have like, if there's, if, if each, I'll say office or ministry does, you know, a short presentation and explains what's going on. That kind of covers at least the, maybe the leadership side and some of the structure. Greg, how about you as a church member? Um, you know, you, you, you don't currently serve as an elder. So I, you know, unless you're in a, uh, congregational form, I would imagine you probably don't get like monthly or, or, um, you know, other updates about the church finances. Um, so when we think about just these terms, transparency and accountability, what do you expect to see from a healthy church? So, you know, I have sat on both sides of this fence, right? Mm -hmm. I, I have served as an elder in the past. And so, um, you know, I've, I've served as a deacon in the past. So the finances were, were much more, um, I was much closer to that. Um, as you talk about these meetings where everyone gives, you know, an accountability, I, I remember, um, I won't tell any names obviously, but once upon a time was serving in a church and one of the ministry leaders, a guy who, who happened to be in charge of building and grounds, he was giving his report and, you know, he told how many rolls of toilet paper we went, he, you know, he, we went through how many light bulbs they changed. Did he oh, give, did he give Lord. numbers for himself and for everybody else? Because <laughs> <laughs> that would be a very not. strict accounting. But, yeah. but if I've ever pre, you know, if I've ever prayed, you know, come Lord Jesus now, it was, uh, it was during, it was during that, that presentation. Um, so too much transparency. In yeah, one, too much transparency. I don't, yeah. I do not care how many rolls of toilet paper we went through until there's not enough. And then I care uh, quite intensely. Um, but, <laughs> but so, yeah, for me, um, I'm not intensely interested in the in the quarterly or the annual meetings when we we roll out the out the spreadsheets. Um, as far as I'm concerned, those aren't times to be making decisions. Those aren't personal conviction. I'm paying attention all year long. I'm paying attention when we're talking about bringing on the next missionary. I, you know. Is it time for a new piano? That's what I'm looking. Um, what I what I try to avoid is being the person at those meetings that's you know using the the microscope to to examine every line item. I just don't feel that that's the that's the time for that. Um, Thank you, I, by I, the way. Thank you yeah, for that. <laughs> yeah, God bless you. Yeah. So, um, but I'm the squeaky wheel that's going to be. Uh, raising the issues all year long. So don't thank me hey, too quickly. I take it no, back. No, no, I, I was going to say thank you for that also. Uh, that's a good thing. Being being vigilant and paying attention and keeping leadership accountable, not just at the quarterly meeting or the yearly meeting is important. We should be focusing on things like that. all of a sudden there is something, you know, um, strange or, or some 
obvious expenditure. We're spending a lot of money on, on certain things that maybe just don't seem right. Maybe they seem vain or, or, um, you know, it just doesn't, just doesn't click. We should have people from the congregation that are willing to ask questions and go, Hey, what are we doing? But if everybody all the time is examining, that's what, that's what makes people start to give an accounting at like, like we're going through an audit every single time we're accounting for every single expenditure. And there is a point where transparency becomes unreasonable. Um, and you know, if you don't trust the people that are leading, well, maybe you should remove them and, and, and hire someone who, who you can trust, but it becomes just a terrible burden, uh, to the people who are being led to the people who are in those positions to think that they have to, you know, have a meeting and, and do everything else to say, I mean, do we need to buy another, uh, roll of toilet paper? Uh, I don't know. What are people going to say? Like, that's just too, that's too scrutiny. It's, it's too much scrutiny. Um, and so, well, that was know, my, I, that was my next point is, um, you know, when we roll into those meetings, um, because I don't, I, I'm, I don't want to lay out a blanket statement and say, I trust everyone in the decision-making seat, but oh, don't I do that. Don't uh, trust no, everyone. I, yeah. I don't trust everyone. No, healthy yeah. suspicion. Um, because I trust them well enough, um, if they say, yeah, we, we want to bring on this new missionary. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to use the appropriate avenues at the appropriate times to voice concern. But at the point that, at the point the quarterly meeting comes around, like, I feel like that time has passed. And so listen, um, I'm not the one that's spent the hours looking into these people's background. I'm not the one who spent hopefully the hours praying over this. Um, so I'm going to trust that you have, and if you haven't, shame on you. But if you have, then then I'm going to let you do your job and, and make this recommendation. I'm going to trust that you were you were led by the Lord to make the right decision. No, I I think that that is an important statement, and I uh, appreciate you saying it because I want that. And I I don't say this just for me as the pastor. I want this to be the case for all the ministry leaders. You know, Eric, you mentioned about that, and. I enjoy having opportunity for ministry leaders to give an accounting, um, to talk about, you know, what they're doing, um, especially if they're going over budget or something like that. You know, there, there should be some reason, you know, and, and before someone goes over budget, there probably should be a discussion about that. But by and large, I want all of the ministry leaders, anybody who we have given some opportunity to spend money, that should be given to someone who has already been through that, you know, vetting process, that they've been shown to be faithful. And so you know, stewardship isn't just about resources, but it's about who do you actually give uh, the ability to expend these resources to. And if you make those decisions, then to just kind of make somebody be so overburdened with having to look over their shoulder every single time that a teacher wants to, you know, buy a colored pencil or something for the classroom. Or, um, you know, I, I mean, if I had to, if I had to, you know, send emails and have meetings for every single time I needed to spend uh, church funds, it would be, it would just be ridiculous. At the same time. Um, you know, although I do have access to church funds and can spend them, um, our treasurer is incredibly diligent. And even though he's not a paid staff member, he's more vigilant probably than many paid staff members. And if I tried to, you know, empty out the church bank accounts and run off to Tahiti or something, um, he would catch me before I, before I left my driveway because he's just, he's on top of things. Um, and I often, you know, when there's unexpected expenditures, you know, I have to make sure I turn in all my receipts and give him these things and I let him know about it. He always knows about it before I, <laughs> before I tell him, uh, because he's so on top of it and he's a, a faithful brother and that's a, a, an important thing. Um, and so having the right people in those positions that you can trust, cause you can't trust everyone. You can't, I remember being, this was, uh, uh, years and years and years ago, but we were looking for a treasurer. We were looking to actually hire that position out. 
And um, I interviewed some people and uh, I remember one person being so, um, we didn't hire them by the way, they were so offended that in the interview process, I, I said, you know, I'm not, this is a paraphrase. I don't remember exactly what it was, like I said, a long time ago now, but something along the lines of, you know, we deal with a lot of sensitive information here. Are you able to have discretion, not discuss, you know, who, you know, who gives what and all that kind of stuff. And, and this person was so like offended that I was even asking questions just about, you know, general duties, um, with, you know, not publicizing, you know, private information. Cause some people, you know, they give, they don't want that information to be known to anybody. Um, other people give and they want you to sound a trumpet and that's a different kind of, <laughs> that's a different kind of issue. Um, but you know, you, you need to have people that you can trust. And so, you know, ministry leaders, um, and, and leadership, uh, that kind of leads very much into the next point that I wanted to talk about with you guys, because having financial accountability, having transparency, that's one thing, but leadership needs to lead, not the money. And so, you know, the accounting, it's really an accounting of the person, you know, is this person the right person to be making these decisions? Um, and if they are, we should let them lead. Um, and then I think the, the finances kind of tend to follow um, somebody who's a good leader and someone who is uh, responsible. Um, they're going to make hopefully sound decisions. Nobody's perfect, of course, but within, you know, within the range of you know, accountability and they need to stop doing something, they will. Um, but it shouldn't be, you know, our, our goal in church isn't just to um, maintain a, 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 like a bank account, right? That's not our Or God our forbid, goal. grow it. Right. Exactly. Um, and so, um, as we're talking about accountability and transparency, at least we've hit on some big issues. I know one way that it sounds, you know, we, we've got different ways here that we've talked about, but one way that some people try and do it is making sure that the pastor or the elders or the leaders are not involved at all. Um, Eric, what do you think about that? Do you think that pastors should be completely separated from the finances? Cause I, I know some guys and, and I, you know, I love them. I, I don't necessarily come to the same conclusion, but they say, I have no access to the bank accounts. I don't know who gives what. I don't know anything about, you know, I don't even know how much money's in the bank. Um, I just spend all my time praying and preaching uh, and teaching, and I don't care about the finances at all. That's only the deacons. Um, some would say maybe that's kind of what, you know, that act six separation is why you have deacons in the first place or trustees or something like that. Like let the elders preach and teach, let the deacons worry about the finances and, and that stuff. And there's this, this strict bifurcation. Uh, all the business of the church is out of the, the hands of the shepherd. Um, some, some people even hire an executive pastor, right? He does all that stuff. And, the, and then there's the shepherding pastor, the lead pastor, teaching pastor, whatever. Uh, what do you think about that? Does that make any sense to you? Or would you have kind of uh, some concerns? Well, um, I, 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 think it's, I think it's one of those things where there, there is some protection for the, the pastor uh, to be, I'll say, minimally involved. When I say minimally involved, I don't mean like he has no idea what the finances look like. I, I think just for practical reasons um, and, and spiritual reasons too, I think that the, the pastor should have an idea of what's going on with the finances. Uh, if, you know, I talked to somebody a little while back because we were looking for a treasurer and, um, you know, I was asking, you know, should I, should I have my name uh, on the account and should I um, be able to, you know, write checks and things like that. And, um, and he said he basically ex explained that you know you 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 can do that. It's and of course that's not illegal um, to do that. Um, so we want to just get that out of the way. Um, you can do that, but it's it's better to um, you know to be. I think this is with his opinion less involved for uh, you know to protect myself. But yet it's I think it depends also on how your church is structured. Like 
you know, if it's if the pastor and the treasurer are the only two people, um, you know, looking into these things, then that there might be some concern there. But if you have a board that all has access to the to the account, the information, um, then it's you know that would be different. So I, I just I guess I think it depends on how it's how your church is structured, how your um, your leaders are, our elders are structured. So I I don't have a firm opinion on this. Um, I can see I can see pros with both. I can see cons with both. Um, but I, I the idea that a pastor should have nothing to do with it at all. I think that's going way too far, and I don't see that it needs to be that that extreme. And I, I'm just I'm just giving you my opinion here because I'm not really. Yeah. Um, I don't have a, a, a really strong stance on this. Well, you mentioned practical and spiritual reasons. Can you um, maybe elaborate a little bit on the spiritual reasons why you think it would be beneficial for a pastor to have at least some oversight of the the finances? Well, if if the pastor is supposed to be leading the church and he he sees that maybe funds are being set aside for um, you know for things that you know aren't necessary, and maybe maybe it's just in some cases just a waste of money. Maybe this money is being misspent, and it should be spent in different ways. Uh, that's that's not just that's not just a practical thing. That's though if if, if money is being invested in stuff that is uh, that's actually going to harm the church, that's a spiritual issue. And I think the the pastor needs to be aware of that. If he's if the pastor is the one that is, you know mostly responsible, not entirely, but mostly responsible for, for leading the flock. He needs to be aware of situations like that uh, to give some guidance. And if correction needs to be made, then he needs to do that. So I think that was that would be uh, the spiritual aspect of it. Greg, what do you think? Uh, you think it would be wise and, and beneficial for, for pastors to be insulated from the uh, the finances and just be separated from it? Or do you think that there's reasons for at least uh, some level of um you know, involvement uh, for practical and spiritual reasons and oversight and all that kind of stuff. What, what do you, what do you think? Yeah, the idea that a, the elders, or if we want to say the pastor, um, the idea that they would be completely insulated from the finance or financial decisions, I, I think is, is not only unwise and foolish, I think it's also unbiblical. You know, how are you supposed to lead a body? You, know, you, you say you're going to answer uh, for, for how your flock is led but you have you have uh, this complete wall of separation between you and a very important resource it's not the only resource that you are are there to to shepherd and to guide and to steer but it's a very important one so the idea that you'd be completely separated from it um i foolish and unbiblical i would argue um that said i don't think it's necessarily about what kind of system um i think it also has to do with the disposition of of the people we're talking about the elders. Um, you know, I, I said I'd served as a deacon. Uh, one of the things that I didn't like about serving as a deacon, there were a couple, but one of them was every check that passed through my eyeballs touched. And in that, unfortunately, um, had some influence and I don't know how much, but it had some influence on, on my perception of individuals as, as they acted in particular ways in the church, um, right or wrong, there were some individuals who I, I could see demonstrate this attitude. Well, this is my church and you know, it's my church because I gave the most and, and I'm going, well, yeah, you, you actually do give the most. And, and so the temptation on my part to, 
to maybe give some give some leeway to them for those things. Those those are there. So I would say it's not just about your systems. It's about who's involved. Um, now, fortunately or unfortunately, Joe, your perspective, you and I have talked about this before, your perspective does play a part in my thoughts on this. Um, the idea that um, how could a pastor in particular and elders in general be separated from the knowledge of of an individual's giving to the church, um, if you don't have that, that's an important, or it can be an important indicator of their spiritual health. Uh, so completely separating every everyone in spiritual leadership could uh, could leave the door open for issues. No, I think um, you know you you and I have talked about this a lot before, and and so um, you know the the reality that giving is a is an indicator. It's not the indicator. It's not the only indicator, but it is an indicator of people's spiritual health, of their commitment to the local body. Um, that is something that I don't want to ignore. But the danger that you're talking about is a very real one. And, and certainly some people cannot handle the information very well because they are influenced by whoever writes the biggest checks. Um, and so, you know, as with all, all the issues that we've talked about, and we've said this phrase before, I'm sure we'll say it many times, often the narrow path is flanked on both sides with different types of errors. And so I can understand the practical reasons of why a pastor would want to be insulated completely. Um, however, I think that if, a, if a, a church was failing financially, something was, or there was some terrible scandal that happened and it happened on the watch of the, again, let's say the pastor or the elders, the overseers, and they didn't know about it simply because they were so insulated, right? They had no ability to, to check, um, you know, the, the bank account, they only relied on the pieces of paper that someone gave them, you know, at a, at a meeting, really there's, there's no money because they've been stealing it and, and embezzling from the church or something like that. Um, and so, um, what do they get to do and say, Oh, you can't blame me. I, my hands were off. I'm like, well, I do blame you actually because your hands were off. Like I, I blame you exactly for the reason that you're saying that we can't blame you because you should have had some awareness. Um, and so, you know, I have the ability to actually check the the actual bank account balance of the local church, because I don't want to just trust that whatever's on these fancy looking financial spreadsheets is the accurate number. Now, it just so happens in my case that the numbers do match and, and praise God. But I couldn't say at the end, if all of a sudden, you know, our, our treasurer went crazy and he's the one in Tahiti, I say, well, you can't blame me. No, in fact, you do. You have to blame me. Blame has to rest at my feet. Where, who, else, where, who else can I give it to? Um, and so the, the, the overseers in that position, you have to take accountability. And I think trying to insulate yourself completely, it doesn't um, protect you. And to think that that's the healthiest place. Also, you know, if our heart can't handle, um, can't handle seeing those numbers, seeing who the big givers are, and now we're going to be so unduly influenced, then probably, and again, people don't, people get upset with me when I say things like this, and I, I say this in love, but if you can't you can't still lead because you think like you're afraid of upsetting this big giver or this big giver is like, you're a puppet in their hands. Like they give the big checks and they're just like, it's time to dance pastor. It's time to say whatever you, you know, whatever I want you to say, uh, you probably should resign and, and do something else. Um, you know, because if you are so fearful of the givers, um, that you can't be involved in the spiritual life of your people, um, that you need to be insulated for your own protection, then, then you're probably not a leader and you should probably, uh, we should probably find somebody who can do that. Um, but I want to add one other thing about the spiritual life. It's not just about, again, the, the giving. If you know that people are regular givers, forget about the amount, whether they're big givers, 
or small givers, right? Some people have very um, uh, elaborate <laughs> ability to give. Others give from very modest means. But if you know that somebody's committed, they're giving regularly, and all of a sudden there's a change, that can be an indicator that something has happened. Maybe they're upset about something that they they aren't bringing up. So you can you know talk with them. Just be like, is everything okay? Maybe they've been laid off from their work, or maybe some some other difficulty has happened. Maybe they're caring for an aging parent, or or there's some other difficulty. And sometimes people are maybe embarrassed to talk about these things, or they 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 don't want to bring them up because you know a lot of times in the modern American church we're just told you know everybody's supposed to you know we're just supposed to you know always pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. But these are opportunities for us to know, like if, if there is somebody in the body who's hurting, maybe we need to come alongside them. And, and Greg, as you said, our goal isn't just to build up a bank account. And so um, as the, the resources come in, part of the responsibility is, is doing good to all people, but especially to the household of believers. And if somebody has a, a burden that they can't meet or they're being unduly burdened by, by, by finances, maybe this is a time to, to show some grace and some mercy and some compassion and come alongside somebody and use some of those church funds to, to help somebody out. And so I think as a pastor, um, at least having some awareness, you know, I used to get the ticker, like Greg, you're talking about, like I knew that everybody's giving exact amounts. Um, I don't think that that's particularly I didn't, necessary. I didn't enjoy that. I didn't. Yeah. You know, I, whether... I, I've, I've gotten away from that. Um, but I do know who gives and I know who gives regularly and I am, uh, alerted, uh, if there is some change. Um, and again, it's not that I'm going to go and be like, Hey, why'd you stop giving? You better start giving. That's not my intention. My intention is, is that, you know, people's financial lives is a huge part of who they are. Finances affects people's emotions and, and their, um, and it does affect their spiritual life. And when people are giving, um, generously and regularly, it's usually an indicator that they're, they're pleased and they're happy with the direction of what things are going on. And if they stop, um, you know, maybe there's something that needs, maybe they need Maybe they have a question that needs to be answered. Maybe they are uncertain. Maybe they're wondering why there's so many rolls of toilet paper in the bathrooms and what are we doing with all this money? So like, like maybe we need to, you know, cease our giving. Maybe they found another opportunity that was better to give to and more important to give to, um, like uh, building orphanages and, and helping widows or something. I don't know. But all of these things are at least worth um, trying to keep your finger on the pulse of if you're in the position of being an overseer, in my, in my opinion. And so that's at least partially what I where I was thinking when you mentioned, you know, spiritual, spiritual reasons, Eric, and, and I appreciate your perspective and wanted to at least add mine as well. Um, this does again, transition. I already mentioned the point, but let's, let's dig a little bit deeper in this idea that money leads, not people. Um, this, this idea that people would be so influenced by uh, the big givers, that's poisonous to a ministry. And so, you know, if you are an elder, if you're an overseer, if you're a, a staff person in a, in a local church or a, just a leader of any kind, um, I believe Biblically speaking, it is your responsibility to lead, and it is not your responsibility to uh, be um, unduly influenced by particular members of the congregation who give big tithe checks or, or offerings or whatever. And um, I, I also remember being a part of, you know, I've, I've been in ministry, um, I don't know, close to 15 years now or so, and I've met a lot of different pastors in a lot of different contexts. I remember being a part of a meeting, this was a while back. And talking with these other leaders, um, and we were kind of talking about just outreach stuff, um, how we're trying to reach the community with the gospel and, and what kind of events we're doing. And there was probably about uh, maybe close to 20 pastors in this, in this meeting. Um, they, not everybody was a lead pastor. Some people were, you know, uh, staff, you know, people for overseeing this. Um, but we're talking about various outreach related things. And to a person, 
uh, every single one, as they were talking about what they're doing, the, it was always, well, our budget allows this and we'd really love to do that, but we just don't have the budget for it. Maybe next year, or maybe the year after that, or we're kind of working for this. And um, I made a statement to that group back then that people looked at me like I was crazy. I wonder if you guys will think that I'm crazy too, but uh, <laughs> Greg's already not, you don't even know what my question is. Um, <laughs> matter. Doesn't matter. But I said, you know, what I, everything that I'm hearing is also like, like this would be, this is, this is exactly what I would expect if this was like a, a business meeting. We're looking at the budget and saying, what does the budget dictate? And we're letting the money lead. Can I just ask, like, have any of you spent time just thinking like, Lord, what would you have us do? And then aiming at that and trusting that the resources would follow. Or is, is all of these decisions, and maybe it is because they have to give an accounting and they could never even possibly imagine going over their budget or thinking beyond the budget. We gave you $2,000. You're going to have $2,000. That's it. I thought like, what, what would it look like? Or would it be different for you? This conversation, how different would this be if we weren't just taking a business mentality and saying, Lord, what would you have us do? And Lord, if you want us to do that, you're going to, you're going to provide the resources that we need. And then moving forward in faith, does that sound crazy to you guys? Or does that sound like a, a healthier way of stewarding what we have uh, as in, in the local church ministry? It sounds like an uncommon faith. Uh, it, it sounds like faith that we, we've unfortunately lost. Um, as we talk about these things, I can't help but think of the autobiography of George Mueller. I don't know if, if either of you guys have read that, uh, but George Mueller, um, a, a humble little man who did just absolutely gigantic things for the Lord. Uh, for instance, and right along these lines, for instance, there were times where as he's building orphanages and maintaining orphanages, orphanages in England, they would sit down to eat knowing that there was no food, they'd sit down and they'd pray. And it was like, Lord, if, if you're going to have us eat today, right now, you've got to do something right now. And you, know, you read through his autobiography and it happened. Milk trucks would break down outside of his door while they're sitting there waiting on the Lord. Um, pray, praise God. And the problem with that is um, those things can only happen. Th those miracles for lack of a better word, can only happen when we are that faithful. So when we start from the premise that we can only do what we can do with the resources given, you've already, you've already closed the door for that opportunity for the Lord to bless you. Um, and now I'm not saying it's easy, right? Like George Mueller's autobiography stands out because he's, he's one in a million. But, but man, if we could re-harness uh, some of that faithfulness, I, I can't imagine the the advances the kingdom would see here yeah, i think you're, i think you're right i think we do we miss out on so many blessings of seeing what god will do because we're so focused on what we can do in our own strength um and um you know anyway it's a um i wish it wasn't so you use that word uncommon i wish it wasn't so uncommon uh, i'm no george mueller but um i have seen i have seen god show up and be faithful and um and it, it's it's something I would never have want to have missed and stand before him someday and go, well, Lord, I just, I did what I could have accomplished in my own strength. And, and, um, by seeing him show up and do things, uh, he gets the credit for that. And it's, it truly is a glorious thing. It's, uh, it's, it's awe-inspiring, but Eric, what do you think? I mean, do you think that this is, cause I, I've been told that this is a foolish way. Um, this is, you know, it's irresponsible. Um, talking about accountability and transparency, they say, oh, it's, it's foolish. You know, you have to be you have to be more reasonable than sitting down to eat with no food and hoping that a 
a milk truck's going to break down. Outside. You have to be more reasonable than that. Um, so does this sound unreasonable to you or, or are you on board with this, um, this, you know, letting leaders actually lead and trusting that the resources will follow? Well, uh, two things to say. If God uh, wants you to invest in a certain ministry or uh, help people in a certain way and you don't have the money, if that's God's will, that money will come. The money will be there. God will see to it that, that it comes in in some way or another. Uh, I firmly believe that. I have no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I tell people that, that if, uh, if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. That is your basic needs. And so th there's a sense in which if, if we're seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness, if we're putting that as our top priority uh, and we are, we're doing his will, then the money will, will be there, the funds will be there, the resources will be there. Um, and I realize that Matthew 6 is a little bit different context, but the, just the idea is if it's God's will, if you're doing God's will, the, 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 the money will be there. Uh, a personal, personal story, this was, I don't know, several years ago now, but uh, our church had next to no money. We, we were... Um, you know, we're a small country church, kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and we, uh, not, not the best advertisement, by the way, but, um, but we, uh, we, our, our bank account was, I mean, very, very low. Like we had enough money to keep the account open, <laughs> I think, and not, not much more than that. And, um, I, the, the elders knew it, I knew it. And I'm thinking, you know, am I even going to get paid this, this, this week? Uh, so I, I and we, we prayed. We prayed as uh, as a group, and we we didn't beg. We didn't tell people to, you know, sow their seeds. Uh, we just basically prayed and said, "God, if if you want if you want ministry to happen here, if you want me to be here, then please provide." And and I we believe that you do. And we started praying, and then people just started giving. They just started giving more. Um, and uh, our bank account that was almost zero uh, ended up be ended up having a, a lot, a lot more than zero after, uh, after ne the next few years, it, it really just, it went way Because we have dozens of dollars. We have dozens of them. <laughs> dozens. We had one, we have 12 now. Um, but, uh, no, I mean, we had th thousands more dollars, thousands more. And just to be specific, and I, and I say that because I want to give God the glory. God is the one that moved. I didn't beg. I didn't try and scam people. Uh, God just moved and people People just started giving, and these, you know, some of these people are on a fixed income, and they don't they don't have much to spare, um, and there, you know there are others that could give more, and they and 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 they did, but people just started giving, and that allowed us to continue ministry. If it's God's will that that you're uh, that you you do ministry, and and He wants you to do it, and He wants you to maybe do certain kinds of ministry, He's going to provide for that. I have no doubt. I'm definitely no George Mueller. I'm far from that. Uh, but, um, you know, after that experience and other experiences, I can say with at least mustard seed faith that God is absolutely able to provide. He will provide. Um, now, I think I, I think that there's another side to this where some churches are like, OK, I think God wants us to God's called us to build this gigantic building um, with you know, laser lights and smoke machines and these other things. And I just, no, we yeah. just need to take a leap of faith and we just need to, 
you know, spend the money that we don't have and get an enormous amount of debt and just cross our fingers that, that we'll be able to pay it off. And sometimes they do that and they tank as a result of it. So I think, and obviously, Joe, you're not, you're, you're not talking about that at all. You're talking about actually sometimes the worst thing they can do with that is they can succeed actually. And yeah, true. There's some truth to that. So I think there's two sides to it. I think it depends on how you're going about it. I think if it's obvious to everybody that this is God's will, this is what God wants us to do. Um, I'll give you another example. There's a church, a sister church of ours that they, uh, they give like an enormous amount of money to missions. And I want to say, and I, I could be wrong on this. I want to say it's like 33% of their income goes to missions, which is a pretty gigantic amount. Mm-hmm. And, but they've committed to that and they're just trusting that that's what God wants them to do. Uh, they're, they're trusting that, that God wants them to, to do that specific thing. And if, and if that's what he wants them to do, they're going to, they're going to go all out and they have, and they've, I mean, they're, they're a small church, a pretty small church and they're giving an enormous amount. I mean, I'm talking like thousands and thousands to missions uh, every year, more, probably more than some much bigger churches are. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're living by faith and there's, they believe God's called them to do that. And that's what they're doing. And God's blessing it. I'll just say that seems like such a good example uh, of what, what I mean by letting the leadership lead people who are committed to what God is doing in the world. And so what is God doing? Well, he's, he says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all of creation. And so, well, that means we ought to probably be giving some money to missions, having, you know, the gospel go forth to, to people who uh, need to hear about Jesus. And so that, that meeting that I was talking about with a bunch of outreach people, some people are part of a big church, nice big building, you know, a lot of, a lot of staff members. So we're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars being invested to staff members. Um, and they say, well, my budget is $2,000. So really all we can do for outreach is, is VBS. And it's not even a good VBS. You know, it's just like this little, like we kind of, we, we were having trouble competing with all the other churches uh, in our area. Um, cause we wish that we had a $10,000 VBS budget. Like, is that when we're letting the money lead and, and we're saying, okay, well, we're restricted by $2,000. Is that, is that a biblical conclusion? That's, that seems like that's only a budgetary conclusion. If we're having a biblical conclusion, we say, well, what can we be doing to reach the community, reach the world all the time? That's what we exist to do because we don't exist to build up a bank account. We exist to proclaim the excellencies of Christ who's called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We, 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 we exist to proclaim the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. All right, how can we do that? And, and if God, like, what do you want us to do? Um, well, if you want us to do this, that, and the other thing, then okay, yeah, let's pray about it. And let's trust that the resources will start to follow. We'll start to have more money for that. And you know, fairly recently for us, we just moved into a new building um, uh, almost uh, almost exactly a year ago. It was uh, November last year. And, um, you know, we had we had outgrown our facility. We were meeting outside, which in Michigan is very unpleasant, um, although that was one of the, the most beautiful two years of ministry that I've uh, ever been a part of. Um, because you really see like people weren't there because a cup of coffee or, or the program. I mean, they sit, literally sitting outside in, in rain or, or um, you know, it's just. Michigan, Michigan is very unpredictable. There were some beautiful days. There were also some pretty tough, tough days. And, you know, looking at our finance, we, we knew we had to do something. Um, but the third point on, on this framework for me, I'm committed. And I don't think that this is a biblical principle. This is my opinion. This is a conviction that I have. I'm not saying this in judgment to somebody else who does something different, but I'm convinced that we should never do campaigns. 
I've seen campaigns where you, you know, you, you're, you're really preaching about the campaign and you're doing all that stuff. And Eric, I appreciate your approach and what you were sharing about like, look, we're going to, we're going to tell you about the need. We're going to pray about these things, but then we're going to continue on uh, until the Lord says that either we can't, or he meets this need. But otherwise I like, I'm not going to just, you know, I'm not going to preach the the Nehemiah series. We got to build these walls. I'm not going to preach the, you know, the Joshua, let's go in and possess our land. I'm not going to do all that stuff. I'm going to tell you what we need. And if, if the Lord is in this, um, he will provide the resources that we need. And I remember that process. I mean, we, we, we turned over every stone. We were looking at every single opportunity. Um, we finally had something that seemed like it was going to work. It was, it was something that we didn't want to do. Again, something that you said, Eric, where we were just like, let's just take the step of faith. And let's take on a huge amount of debt. We needed something that was much larger than we currently had, but at the same price, basically, so that we could know that we could afford it so that we didn't have to try and resort to some fleshly means to know that we had to, you know, we had to get more people real soon or otherwise we were going to default on things. And I remember we were talking to a, a bank that uh, was willing to work with us and they looked at our finances and said, you know, if you could raise your down payment, you needed 30% down payment. If you could raise that, um, you know, we'll, we'll finance the rest of it because it will be what you've already been paying to rent your other facility, but there's no way you're going to do it. We've been doing this a long time and it just doesn't look like you'll ever be able to raise that money. And so we told people and lo and behold, God showed up, we raised that money. And then we told our bank, Hey, and they're like, wow, we didn't think you'd do it, but okay, we'll, we'll finance the rest of it. And so, uh, we purchased the building and, uh, we never made our first payment because, uh, although we did get a mortgage, um, it the whole balance was actually paid off before we had to make our first payment. Um, and again, tiny little church, there were barely any people. Um, and God showed up in amazing ways and I didn't have to in fact, I was almost, if anything, I aired to the other side. I would have people come up and be like, you haven't talked to us about this like building thing in a while. Is everything still on track? Because we'd come to church and we would just worship the Lord. It wasn't, it wasn't building update time. And guys, remember, you know, we got to fill up this thermometer and let's, uh, let's sing a special song and have everybody dance up to the front and put your checks in so everybody knows how much money's going in and like, you know, celebrating. You can very quickly begin worshiping a building or worshiping a program or worshiping money. And under no circumstances do I want to do that. And I've seen people who have left churches because they said, I, you know, this was a good church until they started to do the building campaign. And then every week, it's just, they're telling us about how much more money we've got to give, or we move into the big facility. And now every week, it's just every, every message, every sermon, everything is about giving, 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 giving. We have to give more, you have to give more, have to give more, have to give more. And people are like, I just like, this place is drying up. And so I'm convicted, no campaigns. Um, and this is the most recent time I've seen God show up. I've seen God show up before uh, with another ministry I was associated. People thought we were going to lose this land for sure. God showed up. We paid it off. Um, no campaigns. Weren't in, you know, damaging people along the way, especially people of modest means saying, you got to give more, making them feel guilty that they're not writing, you know, big thousands, you know, thousand, thousand dollar, dollar checks or whatever. Um, do you guys feel similarly about that? Or do you think that there are times and, and places where, where campaigns are good? Um, again, I've seen almost only negative from campaigns, but again, I know my experience is limited. So I, I don't say this as like some judgmental thing. It's just a personal conviction I have. Um, have you guys seen campaigns go well? Do you think that that's a suitable thing? Yeah, no, I, I think I would definitely agree with you. And again, I, I heavily influenced by, by George Mueller's story. He, he wouldn't tell people what he needed. Um, absolutely refused to tell anyone. He said, I'll tell the Lord and the Lord will, the Lord will take care of telling you. Um, and so his entire ministry was built around the philosophy that I don't tell men or women anything that I need. I tell it to the Lord and, and the Lord always provided. Um, and so, uh, and, and I guess I know we're talking about 
how to ruin your church, but understand for the listener, understand that this is, this is a scalable principle that, that we could very easily be talking about your life and, and how you're using your, your individual resources. So this isn't a conversation, at least it shouldn't be just about what the people in charge of your church are doing. It, it, this, this dependency upon the Lord, this waiting on God, this using your resources wisely. Um, this is a very scalable principle. Um, but to get back to your question, yeah, no, I, um, I, I would definitely, I, as much as I can, I try to, to follow a similar model. You know, when I was raising money for my trip to Guatemala, I made one, maybe, maybe two announcements. And then I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. Yeah. I, I think, um, maybe, maybe the word campaign, um, and I get what you're saying, Joe, and I, I think you're right. Um, but I think maybe, I guess it depends on how campaign is defined. Uh, Paul um, knew of a need that the, uh, there was a famine that was uh, throughout the, uh, the Roman world and the church in Jerusalem was really suffering badly. And Paul was going around and collecting money for the church. And he dedicated uh, a few chapters in Second Corinthians to laying out um, why the, the Corinthians should give to help uh, the saints in Jerusalem, I, and and he 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 told them, um, you know, he did he did tell them if you give, you know, if you'll God will bless you. And uh, but interestingly, remember he 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 talked about the Macedonian churches, and he said they gave even beyond their means. Mm-hmm. You know, they gave until it hurt, and uh, so so Paul did. I mean, Paul didn't tell them to give that way. He didn't tell them just give beyond your means. They chose to do that uh, by their own free will, but. Uh, but Paul did go around to churches, and I don't know if campaign is the right word. Um, he just simply made the need known mm-hmm. to the Corinthians, to um, to other other churches as well, uh, to the Romans, and he um, he did you know he collected money uh, for uh, for the, the the saints in Jerusalem, and then went and delivered that money with a, a group of other believers. So I think there there is a time to make needs known. Um, George Mueller's faith is incredible. It's exceptional. And I, I, I just think that not every Christian has that kind of faith. Um, should they be faulted for that? Well, I don't know. Um, I, 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 think, I think there's a time to make your, your need known. And again, but, not, but not to go about it in a way where you're trying to manipulate people. I think maybe that's the, diff- that's, that's the, the, the thing here is, am I making the need known to, to manipulate people? Am I doing it in a manipulative way? Or am I, am I just, am I making it known? Because people just need to know, and God's not going to reveal it to them by revelation. They just, they're just going to have to know there's a need, and if they, if this need's going to be met, people are going to have to give. Um, and there's other yeah, examples. I, I do, definitely don't hear me say that I think George Mueller ought to be the the rule rather than the exception, because I think he is the exception. Um, but I think he is a beautiful exception, an encouraging exception that shows to Christians today or can show to Christians today, the great faithfulness of God and, and the great providence of God. So yeah, I, I wouldn't want to say that, that he is some sort of spiritual measuring stick. And if we fall short of George Mueller, we're, we're doing it wrong, but man, how amazing when, when we, if we were to take that practice in at least apply it in little ways 
and the doors that we would that would be open so that we could see God work. And so, yeah, no, you know, Paul again, I, I don't deny that Paul was campaigning. The, the interesting thing that I, or as I was listening to you speak, the interesting thing I thought of is here were Christians, um, hundreds if not thousands of miles away, contributing to another church's campaign fund, or you know, mm-hmm. uh, and man. How often do you see Christians from hundred miles away paying for the building of other of other uh, churches? Um, yep. It's it's a beautiful it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. No, I uh, I am as I said before. I'll say again. I am no George Mueller, and it's been a long time since I've read his uh, autobiography. I think it's been I don't know if it's autobiography or biography, whichever one. It's autobiography. Yeah. Okay. Um, there were sometimes I you know he'd be he'd be praying. He's like, Lord, I need this. You know, I I got this need, and someone would call and be like, George, I want to give you this money. It's the exact money. He's like, No, I can't take it because I'm waiting for God to show up. I'm like, Dude, that's it. Like, take that. <laughs> that was the money. But he was like, Not from you. It has to be from somebody else. Yeah. Like, All right, whatever, George. He, I don't he, get he that. He very often wouldn't take money from unbelievers. So sure. Um, yeah. No, and that, that makes sense. And and again, you know, I got another thing on here of, of being careful with dedicated gifts, even from you know whether you're taking money from unbelievers or taking money even from believers, but they're dedicating the cause. You have to be very careful with stuff like that. Um, but no, the way you're defining it, Eric, I have no problem with. Um, in our, you know, just the example I just gave, I let people know, look, look around. You know, the reason we're meeting outside isn't because we love being outside. We're, we're meeting outside because we, we're out of room. Like some places say like, oh, we're out of room. No, no, we're out of room. We literally can't fit in the building. We need something. But now that I've let you know the need, how often do I need to talk about it? I don't need to talk about it every single day. And Greg, you were there. Uh, you you were kind enough to drive over to our side of the, the state and, and visit on our first uh, first meeting inside in the new building. We gave glory to God. We mentioned it, but we didn't do like some you know popping champagne celebration. You know, everybody's like, hey, like we just we did basically exactly the same thing that we did. We were just inside rather than outside, and we didn't make a huge deal about um, the the change in the setting because. Again, it's not about the building. Now, we wanted to give glory to God because it was amazing that he had, he had answered our prayers. Um, so we acknowledged it. But then again, the celebration of the building was never going to happen. We were there to yeah. worship God who loved us and gave his son for us. And so really nothing else changed except it was much less drafty, uh, which was a good thing because the weather turned uh, amazingly. And um, so making needs known, I think, is important. Uh, I, I do believe that we should make needs known. But I'm not going to just go on and on every single week. And I feel like, you know, in the in the Old Testament, um, the example as well could be given when they were going to build the tabernacle. God gave them the plan, told them what he wanted them to do. Moses told the people. And then he had it says he had to restrain the people from giving more because people were so excited to be giving towards this that they were just like, here's more. And he's like, no, 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 we've got it. The need has been met. We don't need you to keep giving any more for this. We're going to be able to do exactly what God said. and. Uh, you know, I didn't see him doing the the faith campaign and give till it hurts and shaking people down and making people feel guilty. He made the need known and God put it on the people's hearts. And, you know, I said something very similar to our people at at that time. I said, look, this is our local congregation. We can't expect that Greg, as you said, that somebody from a hundred miles away is going to pay for this for us. If we want to do something, it's on us. So one of my great joys, you know, I remember HBC when it was the, uh, was it a dozen people? I'm probably being a little generous. When I say it was a dozen people, but um, I visited you when it was a dozen in the in the barn, um, and then I vi- was able and have been able to visit you guys in uh, in your new setting. 
And it has been my absolute joy to, to partner at least in a small way with HBC. And so I, it's, it's a great joy and a great uh, honor to be counted a friend of your church and to, and to partner and to see what God has done and, and will do in the future. So, well, we appreciate your love. And, and again, you know, I know that, um, you know, we're not the, we're not just like George Mueller isn't the standard, we're not the standard. Um, but it's cool to see, at least in this area that we've, we've seen things that, you know, we, I want to add this because this is some, I, I heard people tell me that I was irresponsible. Um, and I get that, you know, if I, if I was running a business, um, it would have been irresponsible, but even as a small church, you know, we, we heard about needs in the community. Um, opportunities that we could have to, you know, help with, with certain real practical needs. I'm not talking about wants, but, but real needs. Um, and, and so, you know, we had given away a lot of money and it was funny. Like we looked at, um, when we looked at the amount of money that we were supposed to save up for our down payment, um, it was almost, it wasn't penny for penny, but it was almost the exact amount of money that we had given away, um, to people in the community. It was a, it was a, a large sum of money. And, um, I remember telling, you know, the people in this, this congregation, and, and if I was a part of, you know, some of those other meetings where everybody has to give that, you know, accounting for every roll of toilet paper, people would say, oh, this is irresponsible, terrible. You gave away all our money. You know, we should have been saving up all that money that, you know, that would have been the, the prudent, responsible thing to do. And I don't disagree that that would be prudent and responsible, but I also would be a fool if I said, well, then that all those dollars and cents represent people that we wouldn't have helped because we were so busy trying to store up stuff for ourselves and be comfortable for ourselves. And those were opportunities missed to, you know, do our good deeds before men that they might glorify our God in heaven, that we could do this in the name of Jesus and be kind and generous and use unrighteous wealth to win friends for ourselves that, with the hope that they would uh, join us someday in that everlasting kingdom of heaven because they believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I don't care what other people say, you know, outside of our, uh, congregation, you know, other pastors go, well, no, you know, we would never help that single mom uh, who's not a believer because we got to save up money for our building project. Like, okay, you can do you. Um, I'm going to help the single mom. And if God wants us to have the money, then then the money will come in. And I, I don't want it to sound like, just like George Mueller, you know, you read and you see God show up. It's really easy to read that biography. There were times of agony and, and we went through times of agony. You know, Greg, I talked with you, you prayed with us. There were, there were years of agony, like, God, are you going to show up? Is this going to work out? Are we just going to close the doors? Um, but on this side of it now, to see that God did show up, and he's shown up so many times. I've taken some huge steps of faith in my, my walk so far. I'm sure that there's some bigger ones even coming. And I want to be prepared for that. And, and all of that gets back to the same principle. Leaders have to lead. We have to say, God, what do you want us to do? And then trust that he's going to show up and meet those needs. And I don't need to run the church like a business, you know, running campaigns, running advertisements, using all the, the, the worldly shakedown methods of trying to, to build the campuses and do that. If God wants us to do it, I believe that the people almost would need to be restrained. Okay, guys, we met the need. Just, you don't need to keep giving anymore. And I think some people hear me say stuff and they go, you're crazy. Yes, I've seen, I've seen that happen. And if people are, you know, I, I have a benefit. When we were outside, all those people really wanted to be here. And I remember preaching, people getting poured on in the rain. It's one of the, the, the shortest sermons I ever preached. You know the feedback that I got afterwards? Um, they said, Joe, we're already wet. You could have kept going. Like, they, they weren't mad at me um, for, for, you know, some of the other superficial, foolish things that, that you know, I know some people leave a, a church because the, the pastor doesn't put enough color in the PowerPoint slides. They're like, ah, it doesn't pop enough, you know. We got to go somewhere else. Um, and so when, you, when you're 
trying to be a good steward of the, of the people and knowing that the people are on board with, um, with what's going on, then you tell them about a need and it's going to get met. And you get to see God show up and he, he meets these needs often through his people. And it's a beautiful thing and God can be praised about that. And it's not about, you know, did we, did we, you know, hit the right cadence of, of the, the requests and, and making sure that we like had all the, you know, all the stuff that goes into manipulating people to give towards a vision. Um, if the vision is from the Lord, I, I, again, I just, I've seen it happen time and time again. And I think people are, I, like I say, I say this because I think people are missing out on seeing God show up and do things that, I mean, every Sunday when I go to our, our building, that wouldn't have happened unless God was in it. I know for a fact it wasn't because I was this excellent campaign, you know, financial campaign leader, because I didn't even do one. Um, and I told people about the need, like Paul, told them about it. People did give, and the need was met. And it was, it was wonderful. And sometimes, Greg, I don't know if you're 100 miles away, but sometimes the funds did come from people far away um, and not even part of that because they were on board with what God is doing. And I, it's not like we're some special snowflake that we're so, you know, I think God wants to do this for his people. I believe that his church is important to him, important enough for him to shed his blood for. And so, um, you know, we want to be strategic with our budget. We want to be uh, proactive with our budget. We want to lead and, and go in the way that he's leading and trust that the finances will show up. Um, sounds like you guys are on board with that. Um, Eric, you mentioned something about that, that like 33% of the budget. Um, I do think that um, having a kind of a strategic budget, you know, setting goals um, for what we want to do with our budget is helpful that to, that way we kind of take control of the budget and saying we believe in missions so let's set aside a, a number and as our finances increase that means our giving increases you know and it keeps up with that um, do you guys believe in like that kind of strategic budgeting or do you kind of um, prefer to just say all right well what's here and then let's divvy it up okay we got ten thousand bucks left over we got five more ministry leaders all right two thousand bucks for everybody because that's just that's the fairest way to do it. Some people do it that way. Again, I don't know that the Bible tells us exactly how we have to do it. So I like the more strategic, you know, setting aside percentages and kind of giving for that. You know, these things are some, quite frankly, some ministries are more important than others. I think we should be giving more to, to missions than to toilet paper budget, in my opinion. Um, but that's, uh, you know, my, we still need a certain amount though. <laughs> sure. Yes. Yeah. We do need to have at least some for the toilet paper ministry. Um, for sure. Correct. Um, now, let me just uh, make a point that uh, when I said 33%, I, I, that was an approximation. I don't know if it, that's exactly how much they give, but it's, it's a very large percentage. It's a, it's a surprisingly large percentage uh, that the church gave. But um, just, to, just to clarify, but yeah, I, I think the strategic way is kind of, that's, that's kind of where, where we're at with it. That's, that's the way that we do it too. Um, so I, I think we... Yeah, there there are things that we give to um, where we invest a lot more money in uh, than other things. Some some aspects of ministry are just more important than other aspects. Uh, actually, our denomination is huge when it comes to missions. I mean, they are huge. They are, I would say, obsessed with missions in a good way. Uh, we have a, a goal right now of sending five missionary families out to. Um, to to plant uh different churches all all over the world in in areas that are uh not totally unreached but it, that really have very few christians uh christian exposure so the our what the uh what our denomination does is they require each church to give a certain percentage uh of the of our income to missions in order to fund these 
uh, these missionary um, missionary campaigns or missionary projects, and I you know cam- I'm, I'm using campaign uh, <laughs> in a in the best way possible. Um, but uh, they but they're really serious about this, and so we we give we give to missions uh, that way, but we also have money set aside uh, for missions. We give in different ways. Like I raised money uh, earlier in the year by um. Uh, I just had this idea, like, you know, I walk a certain amount of miles, you know, and you and people, you know, donate a certain amount of money per mile. It's just, it's just something interesting. It's not like it's, you know, it didn't involve manipulation or anything. Um, at least I didn't think it did. But uh, just it, just basically an idea that, that gets people thinking about missions and thinking about, um, you know, how much they want to give. And it just it just basically puts it on the radar. We also have money set aside. Uh, for other ministries that we give to um, every month, so I, I think that's kind of how we do it. Now, if we can give more, um, then we do. And you know, there are times like when toward the end of the year, we're we're not doing bad, but we're not doing as good as we had thought we would. And we still we still choose to give, uh, even you know, despite how our our finances look, just because we're trying to be obedient, we're trying to do what God wants us to do. So, yeah, I think I think the you know, having an idea of how much you're going to give. Um, and then if you need to adjust that, if you want to give more, definitely do. Um, but that's, that's kind of how, that's kind of how we handle our, our giving. Yeah. I would, I for sure would echo that and say amen to that. I think, I think it only makes sense to be strategic with your resources. Why, why would you not want to have a well thought out plan? Um, but I guess I, I would take it a different way. Yes. Be strategic. But what I what I think I see often with churches or with individuals and in how they're giving isn't necessarily a lack in in strategic forethought, but a lack of biblical priorities. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say biblical priorities, I even mean like, okay, fine, you want to give to missions, give to missions, that's great. But but who is this missionary you're giving your money to? Are are they are they biblically qualified? Are they doing real work? There are. And I'm going to offend someone, so I'm okay with that. Um, Is it me? Uh, probably, and I hope so. Um, there are plenty <laughs> of people that call themselves Christian missionaries that are nothing more than Christians living in foreign countries. Um, well, why aren't you giving to me? I'm I'm doing just as much missionary work here in America as you're doing there in you know whatever by name a country. They're going to know that I'm talking about them, or for, uh, but. <laughs> <laughs> so I do want to be careful. Um, but just because you're a Christian doing Christian things in another country doesn't make you a missionary. Uh, it just makes you a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so while you're being strategic with, with where you're giving good, do that. Why wouldn't you be? Um, but let's make sure we're giving priority and measuring those priorities by what the Bible says. Uh, does does God want you and your church to have the laser lights and the confetti? Listen, I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet, but I'm going to tell you, no, he doesn't want you to do that. Does he want you out there caring for orphans and widows? Absolutely. You don't need to pray about it. It's black and white. It's written right there. Now, okay, the confetti machine isn't isn't written there, but I'm right, so. Well, uh, for clarity, I was not offended by what you said, so I guess it was somebody else. Bummer. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> No, that there are certain things in the Bible that are just are clear, and and so you know our budget should reflect that. And so 
you know, like, um, as I mentioned, kind of, we call it our benevolence fund. Um, I've, I've had before that that should, you know, be a certain percentage of the budget. Um, now in my mind, it's just, Lord, I, whatever, whatever needs that we see, we can meet them. We want to do that and we want to do so in your name. And so, um, you know, we kind of trust that that's just gonna, it's kind of this, almost this floating number that, you know, I've been a part of places before. I've talked with other leaders in other places that they say, well, we have a, we, we do have a benevolence ministry, but we have a set number for some people. It's a small amount, 500 bucks. Other people, it's a, a larger number, 500,000. I don't know. Um, but if the money's gone, all of a sudden it's now we're like, well, we're not, we're not doing that anymore. And I never want to be in a spot where, you know, I'm saying, I mean, Eric, getting back to what you were quoting from, from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Lord, as I seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, I'm going to trust that you're going to meet the needs that we have. And so I do, I want to have biblical priorities in the budget. And so if you don't, if we're not strategic, then all of a sudden, you know, we look at this and we come to the finance meeting and if it's all about just, okay, did everybody stay within budget? Fine. Some of the questions I think we should ask as a, as a, as a local church, I think the congregation should keep the leaders accountable. If they're the ones that are responsible for making the budget, I think that if the congregation is the one that's responsible for making the budget, these are things that should be on the table. What does the Bible prioritize? And clearly the Bible does not prioritize confetti machines or other things. Now, I'm not going to take as hard of a stance as you did. I'll let you, you know, keep that. And I'm not going to say that you're even wrong. What I will say is if we've prioritized correctly and we are helping all of the widows that we find, we're helping all the orphans that we can think of, we are prioritizing world missions. And it just so happens that we have so much money, that there's money left over, that we want to buy a confetti machine and celebrate all the good things that God is doing in an elaborate, extravagant way, then more power to it. But unfortunately, if you actually evaluate most budgets, you're going to see that probably the, the, the expenditure went to the experience for the people who are coming here and giving before it went to the others. You know, we, we kind of forget others. We forget those who are outside um, and excluded from the promises, excluded, you know, without hope in the world. Um, and sometimes we don't even care about them because they're not going to come and put any money in the plates um, and continue to provide for the refills of confetti every time we shoot them off. So we need people who at least uh, have the, have the deeper pockets that can, um, you know, pay for this and pay for the cleaning people to come in and clean up the confetti so that uh, it doesn't look like <laughs> a glitter bomb went off in here or whatever. Um, and so I'm not, I'm not picking, I'm not picking on people who, who make different decisions. I'm just saying the priorities, if we have biblical priorities, yes, if we're going to pay missionaries, let's have people that are actually missionaries, you know, cause there's an awful lot of missionaries that are doing real work, hard work, that are underfunded. So let's fund them properly so that they don't have to spend 80% of their time going around from church with their hat in their hands, begging for money. Um, let's actually fund them so that they can do the hard work so that they can stay where, where they are doing the most good. And let's, let's stop paying, you know, Christian vacationers who are off, you know, feeling good about themselves. Um, you know, in, in some cases doing nothing, you're just living, you know, you're living in some exotic place. Um, as a Christian, but you're not talking to people about Jesus. You're not, you're not doing Christian mission work. There's, there's another aspect of stewardship, I think, that, that uh, maybe gets overlooked sometimes, and that's figuring out who not to give to. Uh, mm. Because, you know, I, I remember um, when I first started at Raisin Center, I, I, maybe word spread around, there's this sucker that just, uh, that just became the pastor I did of Raisin get that Center. memo. 
Did you? Okay. That's why I reached out I, to you. That's why I reached I, out to you in the first place. Okay, great. I, <laughs> we I assumed we it was... be friends. <laughs> There's a sucker down the uh, It was you. widespread. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but I I got bombed with with calls from random people I had never spoken to. Hey, um, I need money for rent. Hey, I need money for groceries. Hey, I need money for my medication. All kinds of... Um, calls from just random people and i thought how do they even know we're here and why are they calling why are they calling the smallest church in town rather than a a, a bigger church um so it just was just bizarre and and i really over time i had to because I, I wanted to give to people and i wanted to i wanted to be generous um give to whoever asks and i realized that i took that verse too far and i shouldn't have um but uh but I, I had to sift through all these requests and figure out who do I give to and who do I not. And I remember giving and really regretting giving, if you can, if you can believe that. As a matter of fact, there was a guy, there was a guy who who was calling the church. I think he, he called once and he needed just a small amount of money, so I just gave him the amount of money. Well, then he called again like the next week and he's like, "I need this, I need this amount of money." And uh, I said, "Well, how do you not have enough right now?" And um, I, I said, you know, I'm not going to give you the money. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to give it some time, and then I'll, I'll see what I decide. So I prayed about this. I prayed. I said, God, I just don't feel right about this. Something's fishy about this. I, I feel like I shouldn't give this guy money. And the very next day, I went to breakfast with a group of guys. I did not bring this up. I sat down with a group, and one of the guys at the table all of a sudden brought up this guy's name. And he said, yeah, if this guy asks you for money, do not give it to him. He's, he's uh, living off his uh, parents. He refuses to work. His kids don't have what they need because he will not work. Uh, and this guy, is just, he's, not, he's not a good person. He's not somebody to give to. So God answered my prayer, and he told me, do not give to this person. Uh, so I, I, I had to learn that, yes, we need to be generous, but um, we, you cannot give to absolutely everyone. And I think when Jesus said, give to everyone who asks, of course, that can't be in an absolute sense. I mean, think about it. You know, God that has to be, even that has to be weighed. That has to be weighed against if, if you won't work, you don't eat, right? Exactly. Um, that's that's be, equally authoritative. So yes. we, want to be, has, we yeah. want to be compassionate. We also want to be wise and we want to not enable people to continue in sin. It's a sin to enable someone to sin. Right. John I, 6 I actually, is another passage that um, makes, sorry, Eric, I know you got to uh, finish your point, but Jesus, you know, feeds this multitude. And then the next day they, they're not really interested in him. They're just interested in more free bread. And there was no more free bread the second day. So even Jesus who said that, right, Paul said the other part, and they're not, of course, not in contradiction, but Jesus's own actions um, was extremely generous. But then when people just want continued handouts, like they're just, we'll just follow you along as you can, can you continue to give us free bread. He goes, nah, you're not, if you're not interested in me, I mean, I'm, I got other stuff I got to do. Um, so, uh, yeah, there is, there is a balance to that for sure. But sorry, Eric, uh, fin- finish your point. Well, no, that's, it, it's important. What Jesus said needs to be compared with other texts. It's not a standalone text that, that has all, that's all there is to say about the subject. So, yeah, the texts you guys brought up are, um, are ways to interpret that. But I, I'm, I'm not kidding you. I had a guy, I had a guy call me. This was years ago, maybe eight years ago, it's nine years ago. He called me. And he said, "Hey, uh, uh, hey, I'm 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 in need of money. Um, I'm not able to buy, I think, the, some medicine that I need. I need like twenty bucks for the copay." 
So I went ahead and I, I, I gave him the 20 bucks. Well, he, he called me like the next week. He's like, Hey, I need some, I need 20 bucks for food. I said, again, you need 20 bucks again. Like, you know, and then he called the next week and, um, and there came a point where I'm, I said, listen, I just, I, I, you know, if you always need 20 bucks, I mean, I don't know why, why can't you, why can't you get 20 bucks? And I said, I'm not going to give you the money. I don't, I don't feel comfortable with that. <laughs> and I'm not kidding you. This is what this guy told me. He said, well, I guess I'm not going to believe in Jesus then. <laughs> I thought, man, this guy is an absolute con. I said, what? I, I, I'm not kidding. I told this to my wife and some other people. They laughed out loud uh, when they heard that, that this that this is sick. This is and there are people that call churches and, and talk to believers this way and they try and guilt trip them. Uh, into into giving, and I'm like, I, I'm not going to be guilt tripped. I think, and I think going back to what we talked about earlier about when is asking inappropriate, like like mm. campaigns and things like that. When you are when you are guilt tripping people into giving, you are doing wrong. If you are saying, you know, you either either give or you're sinning, give or you're doing wrong. If you're doing it that way, that's unbiblical. Paul said. Don't give grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And I think it's if you're not going to give cheerfully, don't give. I think we I think it's something that, that God takes very seriously. God does not want people giving out of guilt. Um and I think that's wrong. And and to guilt yeah. people into giving is um is is manipulation and I think it's sinful. No, I uh, I agree with that and I wanna add maybe a, a counterbalance to it. I'm not in disagreement with what you said, but I, I wanna add maybe just a flip side. Um, I do know that sometimes Christian ministries, local churches, other benevolent type, you know, 501c3 non, non-church groups, um, you know, they, they're aware that there are scammers out there, people that are lying to you. Um, but I don't want Christians, especially if they're watching this, to think that good stewardship means that we're trying to always look for reasons to disqualify anybody from, from receiving something. Sure, um, of course. And of course quite frankly, you know, I've had people say, well, you know, don't give to this person because they're a drug addict and they're a liar. Um, and I, I think, well, does that person not need to hear the gospel? I think that they do. And so um, this gets to the last point on my framework that at least we'll, we'll talk about for today. And um, I think that we should have a written policy book. Um, that's more of a, that's not a biblical policy necessarily, but I think our policies should be, you know, based on biblical principles, things like what we're talking about. If someone asks you the first time, even if they're a liar, even if they're a scammer, um, I'm convicted that if I can meet that need, I'm going to say yes. Um, and some people go, oh, that's irresponsible. You know, that this person's a, 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 you know, a freeloader. They're not, they're not working. I'm saying, okay, well, if they ask a second time, just like in, in John 6, I'm not going to say yes again. So I'm not going to enable them to live this way forever. But I am going to take that opportunity to give them what they need. But they're also going to hear the gospel. And I'm going to proclaim the gospel to them. And so, you know, I know some, some churches, they're just, you know, they write checks and, and send them out or they just hand out cash. Um, and you know, I, I view those as opportunities to, uh, to, to preach the gospel and to be very direct and to tell people, look, you could be lying to me. Um, and maybe you think I'm a dope. I'm going to tell you right up front. I don't care if you're lying to me or not. Um, but what I, I'm going to tell you the truth, even if you're not telling me the truth. And if you leave here thinking I'm a dummy, I'm telling you, I'm not a dummy. Um, I'm loving you in the name of Jesus. I'm telling you that, um, you know, this path that you're on leads to destruction and um, I'm also telling you that if you try and come back tomorrow, there won't be more free bread tomorrow. So if you're in this destructive cycle, 
you know, and you think that you got, got the best over on me. Well, you didn't because I'm willing to help you, but my desire is to actually help you. Um, you know, I, I want you to be helped in the greatest possible way. I want you to know the Lord. And, and yeah, if you're, if you're in a cycle where all oh, you just constantly in need of 20 bucks, like, oh boy, what a, what a desperate situation that is. Right. And so, um, anyway, I just, I, I know that some Christians are looking, well, that guy's a scammer. This guy's a liar. This guy's a, you know, he's an alcoholic, right? These are often people that need to hear the gospel. And so can I have this opportunity to proclaim the gospel to you? That's what Jesus did. These people in John six that he didn't feed the second time who didn't want anything to do with him. He fed them. He proclaimed to them the truth. And then when they weren't interested, he said, well, I'm not going to continue on with you guys forever. I'm going to continue on my mission. And if you're not going with me, then, then there is no more free bread for you. Not often, right? You said, they said they're often the people that hear the gospel. No, no, they absolutely are. They are the people. Scammers, thieves. Yeah. This is who the gospel. Yeah. And so, so that is a great opportunity to do so. But then again, yeah, we can't be taken, you know, taken over where we're just like now enabling everybody who doesn't want to work and, and, you know, certainly some of those things that's, that's for believers, right? If someone who says they're a believer, doesn't provide for their family, sure. says they're worse than and, an and, unbeliever. And like you said, Joe, and I think that that's been my philosophy too, is okay. I, I will, I will help you. Um, but I'm not going to enable a lifestyle of mm-hmm. dependence. And there are, there are people yep. known in the community, uh, sadly, who um, like they're on lists where like they go, if, if one church says no, they go to, uh, the next church. And then if that church says no, then they, so they make their rounds and they, you know, some of these people, they're, they're capable of working. Um, they just don't want to. And yeah. so again, I'm, I'm not, I'm certainly not saying to, to, to judge people um, by appearance or by even, even, in, you know, if they're an unbeliever, even by their character, because we know that, that uh, unbelievers are unbelievers and yeah. they need, uh, sometimes they do need financial help. And, but we know, we know they all need the gospel. So my my philosophy is yes I, I will help you but I'm not going to enable you to live a lifestyle of going around asking for money. Um, so that's what yeah. you just described is exactly how I feel about it. I, I have a just I don't know. I'm again I'm not a prophet but so I'm, I'm using the word vision in a different sense than that. But I, I just have this vision like wouldn't it be wouldn't it be a beautiful thing if people who were in need realized that if they talk to Christians that Christians are the most generous people that they know and that Christians do help them meet needs and they do it even if they disagree. I mean, when you serve people, even people who might be hostile to you, right? They think, oh, these stupid Christians. But you, you think it's lost on them that they figure, well, if I call up a local church and they're willing to help me, and then they're, they're, all, they're all consistent, doesn't matter what denomination is on the side of the building, they all keep telling me, not that I need to come to church here, not that I need to come and sit in their pews and put money in their basket or something, but they keep telling me about my need for a savior and that Jesus is the only name given under heaven by which we must be saved. Like, I just have this, this, this beautiful vision in my mind. Like, what if our communities realized that Christians are generous, kind people who want to help people, who love people, and who want people to know Christ? And that is one of those areas where I think sometimes churches are so focused on the stewardship saying, no, we can't give away any money to anybody because we're so focused on ourselves that, that you do get some people who are trying to almost scam or they hate, they hate Christians for whatever reason, because they think that they don't agree with them or are judgmental or whatever else. But there's an opportunity to show love to people with our resources. And, but then also to include the gospel very directly and to tell people, look, repentance is a gift. It's actually, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance continuing on this broad path of destruction, that's not a, that's not a benefit to you. It's not a blessing to you. God 
sent Christ to the Jew first and then to the Gentile to bless us by turning us from our wicked ways. And if the church would be unified in that and in showing kindness, um, you know, eventually people would, would they, you know, we're all willing to say, look, we'll, we'll help you one time, but that's it. Um, we're not going to enable everybody. Um, and you're not going to, you know, you'll run out of resources. Um, there's no, you know, a lot of these paths of addiction, right? They don't lead anywhere good. Anybody, everybody knows that. And so people are trying to get it from their family, their friends, their churches, whatever. Um, so I'm not, I'm not talking about enablement, but it is an opportunity I think that Christians have that if we, I believe good stewardship includes trying to do good, even to those who are hostile towards us. Um, Christ commanded us to love even our enemies, pray even for those who would persecute us and to try and do all these things that his name would be glorified. I think this is a great opportunity. It's a very fertile field for us to be able to, uh, as Christians, to do that. And I'm encouraged when Christians come together across denominational lines to show love in the name of Jesus, to tell people that, you know, he's the only savior. Um, and I don't see it practiced too widely, but when it happens, I, I rejoice. Um, and I'm thankful for you talking about, you know, the things that you, the decisions that you made. Um, and I've had some of those same phone calls. People try and manipulate you. Well, if you were really a Christian, you'd, you know, you'd, you'd keep paying for my stuff all the time. Well, no, actually, if I'm really a Christian, I'm going to tell you that um, you ought to get a job. And if you don't work, you don't eat. Like that's what, that's what the Bible says. There is some responsibility <laughs> here. Um, you want to do a Bible study? I'll be happy to do a Bible study. Um, and, uh, instead of, you know, when people aren't interested, I have no problem. Just like Jesus saying, well, if you don't want to, if you don't want to go with the savior, I'm going to leave with him and we're going to keep going in the direction that we were headed. And good luck to you. You know, I hope that the seed of the gospel will take root and, uh, um, you'll repent and believe at some point. So let me quickly read through these things that I've got. And then let me you know, hand it over to you guys if you think there's something that we've left out or anything that we haven't touched on. Um, but by being above reproach in this area of uh, financial, um, not just financial, but, but stewardship of what we've been entrusted, um, you know, ensuring accountability and transparency is a requisite. It's necessary. Um, that might look slightly different, Greg, as you mentioned, depending on the congregational versus elder run or staff, like all these kinds of things. But we need accountability and transparency across the board. Um, Ensuring that leadership leads, not money. You know, I mean, if you got a big giver um, that, that's trying to, you know, hijack the direction of the church and, and have their pet projects be done all the time, maybe the best thing for you to do is just tell them that they should go elsewhere um, instead of, you know, you know if they want to give to where the Lord is leading, praise God. If they want to try and, you know, if they think that this is their church and that they own it, um, again, that they probably, uh, they should probably head on out um, and, and repent of that. Um, I personally don't believe in doing a lot of campaigns, uh, although I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't be judgmental for others who are doing that. Uh, being careful with dedicated gifts. Again, I kind of just make sure that we're not being hijacked to say, well, some guy gave us a million dollars. We got to build a school because he said so. And now we got to redirect all of our attention and effort to make sure that we, you know, you know, use this, this big, uh, big giver because we don't want to upset, uh, you know, we don't want to upset them. Uh, being strategic with our budget, not reactive, having proactive plans and a written policy book. I think these are, are, are huge aspects to having a healthy stewardship so that we don't ruin our church and we don't read about our church in the headlines as, as some financial uh, controversy and shenanigans. But uh, anything that I've left out or, or anything that is on your guys' minds that should be included in a conversation to, to not ruin our church and to have a healthy stewardship ministry. Yeah, I actually had one. Um, this is just a, I guess, a, a way to look at this whole thing, a way to look at stewardship from a biblical perspective. Um, Jesus said in Luke 14, 31, or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? 
or else while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then, or, or, you know, because of this, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Now, the first thing I want to say is give up doesn't mean throw away or give away. But what Jesus is describing here is there's this greater king and there's this lesser king. Jesus is the greater king. We're the lesser king. And just just like a, a greater king uh, takes over the kingdom of a lesser king and makes the lesser king his steward of, of his new kingdom that he's conquered, we have to steward our lives and our possessions, our finances, uh, in a way that's pleasing to the greater king. This this vassalship idea that Jesus is describing, that's that's how we should look at um, our, our finances, that, that God owns everything that we have. Uh, God is the greater king, and we're stewards of his stuff, his finances, his resources, uh, those types of things. And if we take that mindset that everything that we have belongs to him, I think that will help us to, to be better stewards because we realize we are a steward. We're not an owner. We're a steward. And we, uh, we're responsible for taking care of the king's possessions, taking care of his money, his resources. So I think if we have that kind of mindset, that will really help us to be more responsible in our stewardship. For sure. Um, you know, as we've talked about stewardship, and, and it's completely understandable, and I, I think it's a good thing to talk about, we've been talking exclusively or, or nearly exclusively about money. Um, and I don't want to derail the conversation right at the end, um, but I would say this, our people, now whether that's in our church or in our homes, people are our greatest resource. Um, and, and so maybe in the comments, if, if you want us to talk about how, how we should be stewarding, using those resources, the greatest resource we've been given, um, people, um, please say so in the comments. But I would, I would want to have that conversation about how, within the church context, how are we how are we stewarding the resources of of each other um younger people you know you, we see our churches emptying out right now of younger people as as um maybe they're leaving the church or maybe they're just going across the street to another church um are we putting them to good use so that they see themselves as uh, the next generation of our churches a lot of the thought that I've put into this particular framework and a lot of these things that are here, um, it is about the people rather than the, the money itself. And um, a lot of the reasons that people give for leaving churches, um, at least, you know, get a, all sorts of different answers. But some of it is because they say, well, Churchill doesn't, doesn't care about me. They only care about my money. And um, so one of my, the reasons why I'm convicted not to do campaigns is I never want anybody to feel that way. I never want them to think that I only care about their money, that they're only a number and that if they can give a big amount and we're going to put a brick, you know, with their name on it in the foyer or something like that, um, because they're important, if they can give a certain amount of money, um, you know, like I never want to break up into classes of like, these are the important people, the rich people. And then that's a sin, right? That's partiality. And we need to, we need to value those who um, sometimes are of the modest means. And, and so I, I never want to abuse people. Um, Likewise, of, of being aware of that spiritual thing. If something happens, if somebody stops giving, I want to know why. Not because I'm so concerned about our budget needs being met, but because I am concerned about the person themselves. Something's changed. If something has happened that you used to give and now you don't, there's a reason for that. And so are you going through some hardship? Do you need 
prayer? Do you need help? Um, is there something that, you know, sometimes people um, aren't eating because they're not working. Other times people just, they got laid off or they're sick or, or a family member's sick and they need, they need assistance. And again, the local church doesn't exist simply to have a perfectly manicured lawn and a big healthy bank account. We exist as a group of people worshiping the Lord together. And sometimes despite our best efforts, we need some help and yeah. the church ought to help. Um, and so a lot of these things that I've discussed, you know, are there to try and to steward the people in some regard. But I think your question, of course, goes beyond these. And it is, yeah. it is, yeah. The point that I'm trying, that I hope to make at some point is that much like it would be foolish for us to just grow our bank account and then, you know, sit on top of this big nest egg and go, Hey, look, look at, you know, look how much money we have. Um, are we doing that with our people or are we, um, growing our churches as we grow the kingdom of God and then spending those people, uh, you know, sending those people out to, to yield a bigger, uh, a bigger return, a growth of the kingdom. Again, yeah. not necessarily growing our churches, but it seems to me like we, we treat people as if they are a resource to be hoarded and, and sat on rather than a resource to be put to gainful employment. So in my mind, um, I think that the conversation we had in part two of this about um, teaching and discipleship and trying to get people to be active, um, there's a lot of overlap between these two areas sure. for sure. And, you know, to, to try and help people understand their role in the body, to understand their spiritual giftedness, to, to realize that it, their, their walk with the Lord is their responsibility in many ways, you know, that they, they can't just wait for us to spoon feed them or, or create a ministry for them to walk in, but that they should be you know, taking responsibility for these things. And, and if they see a need, they can step up and, and try and meet that need. Um, instead of just, yeah, accumulating people and saying, how many passive people can we get to sit in our pews? Um, and sometimes again, the finances, they go that way. What's the way that, how can we create the nicest cup of coffee and the best free donuts and the most exciting confetti machines to entertain the most amount of people so that they'll come here and sit here passively? Um, and And so there is a lot of relation between those things that um, I appreciate you bringing it up. And, and again, it is, uh, it's good to make that explicit uh, as we talk about all these aspects and the, at least the healthy church framework that I'm, you know, at least in my mind, um, I want to, I want to be clear that I appreciate those, those comments that you're making because they are, they are interrelated. I tried to separate them a little bit, um, but there is, there is overlap. Every one of these things interacts with the other aspects as well. And so um, yeah. I don't view it as a derailment. I, I think that you're very much uh, on, on course with what we were talking about. So is that it, you guys? I mean, uh, anything else? Uh, I suppose we could kind of go round and round, but uh, anybody else have any final thoughts or words on this? Uh, seems like we've maybe uh, tied a nice bow on stewardship. Um, you guys have any final thoughts before we say goodbye for today? I don't believe so. Nope. Nothing else. Well, uh, I appreciate your guys' perspective. And like I said, you know, although different churches uh, uh, have different leadership uh, styles and structures, Greg, as you mentioned at the beginning, uh, aiming at a healthy stewardship ministry should be a goal for every local church. And if nothing else, simply the fact that many of the ter most terrible scandals that we've heard about, um, you know, sometimes moral failures, that's a, a different type of issue, but often they involve some sort of uh, financial financial problems. And so um, if you want to ruin your church, man, don't, don't pay attention to any of this stuff. Just kind of wing it, hope that everything works out. Uh, don't have accountability, don't have transparency, uh, don't have any kind of policies, just, you know, boy. Uh, but we hope for hope healthy local churches. And so whatever your context looks like, whether you're a pastor, whether you're an elder, a deacon, a uh, church member of some kind, 
These things should matter to you. And so we should be prayerfully seeking the Lord to say, Lord, how can we be above reproach in our stewardship? Uh, how can we, Eric, as you just said, how can we understand to the best of our ability? This church isn't, it's not ours. These, these resources aren't ours. These people aren't ours. Lord, we all, all of it belongs to you. How can we be used to bring you praise, glory, and honor? Because that is your due. And so as we pursue these things, I think that God will be faithful to us because he's been faithful every time in the past and he is a faithful God so we can trust him to continue to lead. And until next time, friends, get equipped, obey your king, and glorify your God.